Okay, so I'm really happy to welcome to the Metaverse show uh, two co-founders, co-CEOs of the ZeroX project, Will Warren and Amir Bandiali. Welcome both. Thanks, Jamie. Appreciate you having us. Yeah, thanks for having us, Jamie. So we don't normally do two co-founders, but here we are. So we're going to give it a shot, but you guys have known each other for a long time. So I'm imagining this beautiful, flowing conversation where you uh, you can almost uh, speak on behalf of one another, like conjoined twins, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> so, uh, so the ZeroX API is a professional-grade liquidity aggregator, enabling the future of DeFi applications. ZeroX Labs... Um, was founded back in 2016 um, by you both and is headquartered in San Francisco. Um, and ZeroX has enabled, by this point, the exchange of more than $150 billion in tokenized value across approximately 40 million crypto trades. You guys, I mean, if anybody could be classified as OGs, I think it's probably... Uh, the two of you, not just, of course, specific to, to ZeroX, but just like more generally, your contributions towards the Ethereum community, in particular, a couple of standards, including ERC721 and 712. You recently closed uh, a round of $70 million, led by Greylock in Q1 of 2022. As I mentioned, ZeroX Labs is, I guess, the the company. Um, you then have ZeroX Protocol API uh, and then Matcha, which is the DEX aggregator. Um, and you know, you are powering some of the most important things that are happening in the space now, ranging from Coinbase's wallet um, through your API to uh, more recently announcing um, your protocol powering its NFT marketplace. Um, so definitely looking forward to getting into that. Uh, but also GameStop's new digital assets, Wallet um, and Dex Swaps, um, and you know a, a number of other clients and partners. Hence your successful raise. How did I do? Did, did I? How was that intro? Did I cover off enough at a high level? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, you you made us sound very good. So that was perfect. <laughs> not not difficult. Not difficult. Um, so look, let's let's get into your origin story as i said you know you've both been working together for, for quite a while now um in in the web3 space founded zero x back in 2016 which i believe was at least when will you dropped out of uh, studying a, a doctor of philosophy in structural engineering at university of california so you dropped out into web3 is that right yeah yeah that is right uh, so my, my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, um, was working at Coinbase and she, she was an early team member at Coinbase. Both of us had been interested in Bitcoin and following it since pretty early on, but through her being, you know, immersed in the crypto world and I, I kind of became more and more sucked into it myself. And then when Ethereum emerged it, it seemed like the most important invention since like the internet and i pretty much you know lost interest in everything else and yeah dropped out of grad school and moved to san francisco and uh yeah started just you know 
basically focusing on hacking uh, with Ethereum full time at that point. Coinbase Mafia strikes again. And um, and where did you meet Amir? Was that during your studies, or how, how did you know one another? And what made you yeah. both decide to, to to get get hitched and and create a startup together? So I, I knew Amir through one of my one of my best friends uh, as a kid. Amir and and my friend were coworkers at DRW, and I'd actually met Amir prior to working together once. Um, but then, you know, I think Amir caught the same bug that I did and ended up in San Francisco, and and we hit it off. So Amir, we're kind of talking about you in the third person here, which is probably weird. <laughs> so tell tell us a little bit about your your background. Uh, yeah, so before starting Zero X, uh, I was a trader, uh, a prop trading firm called DRW for uh, about, about four or five years. Um, they were pretty OG in, in the crypto space as well. So they had, uh, you know, one of the first uh, crypto OTC desks, Cumberland, uh, Cumberland Mining. And I, I kind of just caught the Bitcoin bug at, at some point uh, while I was working there. I think it was around 2014. We're a trading company. Uh, I had just a small group of coworkers who all were just watching Bitcoin and, and crypto together. Um, and, you know, we kind of fell down the rabbit hole together, including uh, Will and I's mutual friend. And, you know, at some point discovered Ethereum and, you know, just kind of blew my mind as to what it could possibly enable. and. Uh, I was honestly, I was yeah, a little bit uh, you know over trading at some point. I just really, really wanted to get into the crypto space full time. My coworker uh, introduced me to Will, uh, who at that time was already actually working on a different project uh, on Ethereum. Uh, so he was building out tokenized options, uh, and I originally decided to, to join Will to work together on that. But we quickly discovered that you know you couldn't really create tokenized options without having a place to trade them, uh, and that led us down you know yet another rabbit hole uh, where we you know discovered that pretty much every single project in the space had this exact same issue. They were creating some sort of tokens, but nowhere to trade them, and they were all building out their own kind of proprietary decentralized exchanges. Um, so that's when uh, you know we saw a need for. Kind of a standard decentralized exchange protocol to facilitate the exchange of you know all tokenized value, uh, and and that's where the, the vision for ZeroX came, and uh, you know we we decided to uh, work on that together. And how much has the vision for what you're doing changed? Because it sounds like that North Star's been pretty consistent. Yeah, for sure. I, I would say. The vision is pretty much exactly the same. That North Star is exactly the same. Um, I think it's actually been really, really validated over time because, uh, you know, in, in 2016, it was just a theory that like everything would be tokenized, but there were actually very, very few tokens out there at the time, right? And then, you know, as we started working on this, we just kind of saw it unfold in, in real time. And, you know, it's just been going through exponential growth like you know pr pretty much throughout um but you know i will say the road to get to our our vision has has certainly changed um you know when when xerox first started we were uh really trying to replicate like the order books of, of traditional finance uh primarily uh you know i think since then we've found that there are a lot of different types of liquidity, you know, automated market makers were created, you know, we discovered that 
there are you know other systems uh, for fresh, professional market makers like request for quote that happen to be extremely efficient in, in the blockchain context. You know we are much more focused on liquidity aggregation and uh, you know facilitating swaps through all of these different liquidity models. I don't think there will be like a one size fits all solution. Interesting, and I, I think it's like really important to kind of get perspective from founders like yourselves who were really ahead of the curve, you know, in, in startups and then naturally venture, timing's everything, right? Being too early uh, can be one of the most dangerous things. And, and if you are very early, kind of staying in the game. So, you know, you guys were cool before DeFi summer, before a lot of the attention moved into DeFi. And, you know, how did you stay the course uh, during that. And um, I guess having gone through various bull and bear markets, you know, now we're, we're in the summer of 2022, we're objectively in a sustained bear market, um, debatable whether it's a winter. You know, so A, how did you go through those various cycles and be, be so early and, and survive? And then secondly, how does that change the way that you act now we're in another bear market. Hmm. That's a good question. Well, I think, you know, I, I think that since the beginning, we've had very, very strong conviction in our vision for the future, where there are you know, billions of different tokenized assets spanning all of the different verticals from like traditional fiat currencies, stocks, bonds, startup equity, derivatives to video game items and like, you know, internet reputation points within online communities and really just like anything you could imagine that can be represented as like uh, a digital asset. Like we, we think that's going to happen. And, you know, I, I think that like having strong conviction in what the future is going to look like and having a really strong mission and team values that, you know, we hire against has allowed us to put together a team that is is very mission driven we we are very long term focused we you know we like openly acknowledge that crypto is going to go through ups and downs the technology is extremely disruptive and you know of course it's going to bump into you know existing institutions there's going to be you know tension there um, but at the end of the day we think that you know, blockchains and peer-to-peer -peer markets can democratize access to financial services in the same way the internet has democratized access to information. And like the the change that that's going to have on our daily lives in 10 years is going to be incredibly huge. Uh, in the same way that, you know, the internet has changed all of our lives over the last 30 years. Uh, Jamie, I'm not sure how, you know, how old you are, but you know, I'm, Amir and I are in our 30s, and I remember when we were kids, you know, if you wanted to find out something, some piece of information, you had to go to a public library and hope to find like a, a physical book that contained the information you were looking for. And if you look, you know, at where we are today with like basically all human knowledge at our fingertips uh, on our smartphones, you know, we think that a similar magnitude of change is going to happen within, you know, how, how humans organize and coordinate on a global scale with crypto and bear markets, bull markets, it doesn't matter. Like they're just, you know, another step forward towards the future that we envision. 
Yeah, no, I'm definitely with you there. And it's almost really how excited the wider world gets about what we're doing here in Web3, you know, what people like yourselves are building. Um, and I definitely want to get to that bigger vision of the potential of DeFi. You know, we at Outlier call it MetaFi, it's slightly more expanded, I guess, view on GameFi, but the idea that we're going to end up with new forms of um, collateral, new kinds of digital assets that can be borrowed and lent against to represent any uh, and every kind of form of, of digital thing um, and, and value flow um, within the digital economy that's kind of currently tra trapped in these platforms. And I, I want to get to that. But maybe just before we do, because, you know, you guys have been very patiently, very diligently, either directly or indirectly, helping build out this DeFi infrastructure. How much of it is effectively rebuilding what's already out there in traditional fad, uh, in TradFi, traditional finance, versus kind of truly innovative things that could only be possible um, by leveraging Web3 technology? Hmm. That's a good question. Well, I can share my perspective, and yeah, I'm here. Might have you know, maybe you have a different one. Um, my my feeling is that you know a lot of the things that are going to get traction early on, while this technology, you know, blockchains as a technology, are you know more or less you know kind of like hacker projects. They're not ready for like global scale, billions of users. A lot of the use cases that are going to find product market fit are going to be use cases that are like probably targeted towards like a more affluent audience. Maybe they look like toys, you know, the, the whole Chris Dixon toy phase, you know, new, new technologies often look like toys or whatever. And, uh, you know, I, I think um, one of the big use cases that has provably found product market fit in the crypto space and in DeFi and in NFTs and across the board is speculation. Um, you know, unfortunately, for, for better or worse, you know, speculation like draw, draws a lot of attention. Speculation can be the thing that like sparks someone interest in crypto, and you know, they end up going fully down the rabbit hole and understanding its potential. But I think speculation is like one of the bigger <laughs> areas where uh, you know there's going to be product market fit early on. But then there are also, you know, I think more important and meaningful use cases um, like cross-border payments with stable coins and being able to like go out and borrow capital against your crypto. Uh, maybe, you know, you wouldn't be able to get a loan at a bank, but you can go out if you have crypto and borrow against it and use that as a way to go and buy a house or something like that in the future. Um, but yeah, I I'm not quite sure if I fully answered your question. Yeah, yeah, do you have you any did. thoughts? No, you did. I would also add maybe, you know, speculation has always been, it's always used as a bit of a dismissive. I, I always like to think of it, it's price discovery, price discovery for value. And um, through tokenization, we are able to discover the value, the price of things that perhaps might otherwise be uh, somewhat intangible. But um, yeah, it uh, would be great to hear uh, your take on it too. Yeah, I, I would say um, 
I, I definitely strongly believe that this space is going to enable all, all sorts of new types of behaviors that like just couldn't really do in the world before. I, it, it already has to some extent, right? Um, it, it doesn't take very long to use DeFi, you know, go make some swaps, provide liquidity, you know, borrow against your assets, trade NFTs, whatever, and, you know, realize that like, these are all pretty much things that, that are very difficult to do uh, in, in the traditional world, uh, at least in, in the same way. Um, and I think that's where things get really, really exciting. Like, you know, we're, we're not just making things more efficient, although that, that is a part of it, but we're actually enabling new types of behaviors. What those new behaviors are, I think is hard to pinpoint. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, the this space just enables really, really rapid uh, experimentation. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think that the next big boom, like, is probably going to be caused by, you know, a brand new use case that, like, nobody has really thought of. It's probably going to be some combination of, uh, you know, all of the things we see today. Uh, you know, one of the really nice properties uh, in the space is that most things are pretty composable with each other. Uh, you know, call them money Legos, right? Um, so, uh, you know, you can you can combine all these different use cases and come up with some some really interesting products. Yeah. One, one use case that I'd like to highlight as being particularly powerful and uniquely enabled by crypto is, yeah, like the emergence of decentralized organizations or DAOs that allow, you know, basically anyone with an internet connection to participate in a community that has communal access over financial resources and can organize and coordinate to, you know, towards the, you know, towards some shared mission or towards the completion of some sort of objective uh, and be able to have kind of full transparency and full control over how resources are allocated. And, you know, in the, in the initial zero X protocol white paper that we released in February, 2017, you know, the existence of a decentralized organization, uh, you know, that is needed to kind of govern and manage this kind of what we envision as public financial infrastructure was like a really core part of that vision. And, you know, it's taken a long time, many years for DAOs to kind of start fulfilling some of their potential. I think we're just starting to get glimpses of like really interesting, uh, you know, coordination and uh, productivity happening within DAOs. Still a bit of a mess. <laughs> There's a long ways to go in terms of, you know, reducing friction and, you know, tooling around, around DAOs. But I think that's like one of the areas where it's going to be extremely disruptive. The, the ability to have like global kind of corporations, global teams, companies, collectives is, is going to just change the way that humans uh, interact with one another. Yeah. I mean, I, I would say that at least the promise of Web3 is that we can reconcile kind of free markets and free market fundamentalism and, and the individual with kind of collectivism somehow. Um, and that that feels like a truly new socioeconomic paradigm. So let's let's go into zero X. Let's talk about how it's being used. The whole suite from the protocol to the API, how it's being used today. 
Um, and especially in this kind of context of, of, of MetaFi or, you know, NFTs. Yeah, let's do it. Um, well, yeah, I'm happy to provide like a, a quick breakdown of the different layers of what we, we, we kind of refer to like a decentralized exchange stack that has multiple layers. Uh, there's kind of like the protocol layer. So what is the system of smart contracts? that is settling trades on the blockchain uh, and, you know, ensuring that trades are, uh, you know, written in stone uh, through decentralized consensus. There's kind of like the trade execution layer. Uh, and this is, you know, how do you find the best price for a user? How do you route a trade in such a way that they get the best average price? And this is, you know, the role that ZeroX API fulfills. So ZeroX API is like a hosted API endpoint. Uh, it actually has multiple endpoints, but the most frequently used endpoint is like the swap endpoint. And it, you know, more or less just provides a uh, smart order routing liquidity aggregation as a service for wallets and dApps, uh, you know, and ZeroX API is probably one of the most used, but perhaps like under-recognized products in the crypto space. Um, it's integrated within, uh, you know, all the big wallets like Coinbase Wallet, MetaMask, you know, Rainbow's integrating. Some of the other big ones are also integrating Brave, Matcha, many different, you know, widely used crypto products like Zapper and Zerion. And, Many, many products are, are integrating ZeroX API to support their swaps. And uh, finally, you know, the third layer, so we have trade settlement, which is the protocol layer, trade execution, which is, you know, ZeroX API. Finally, we have like our, our consumer product, Matcha. And our objective with Matcha is to provide like a search engine or like a single entry point to easily find and access all tokens that exist. And uh, it's a consumer product, and our objective is to provide an experience that is accessible and intuitive. Uh, and so that's kind of the three layers of, of the product stack that we're working on. Um, and the protocol layer, so Xerox Protocol, is very much an open source project. And you know, our team is one of the contributors, the main contributor, and among, but there are others. Uh, such as like trader.xyz and, uh, you know, there are a few teams that are, are working at the protocol layer as well. And then uh, Xerox API and Matcha are, you know, they're uh, just kind of traditional products that we're building in order to support the growing ecosystem. And uh, yeah, that, that's kind of how we organize our efforts, if that makes sense. Very cool. I like the, the search engine um, reference or analogy. Um, and so, could you tell us how? Obviously, the big news recently is is um, Coinbase NFTs. Can you tell us about uh, how that will be leveraging your your kind of suite, your stack? Yeah, I can I can speak to that. So, um, so Coinbase the Coinbase NFT marketplace is already using Xerox protocol. So this is kind of that that first layer that Will was talking about. The you know underlying smart contracts that facilitate settlement of different types of swaps, um, you know supports uh, supports 
fungible tokens, non-fungible tokens, uh, you know, all, all sorts of different types of orders, uh, you know, sports request for quote, liquidity aggregation. Um, but, you know, ultimately the protocol uh, is largely agnostic to the types of, of swaps uh, that, that it can support. It's, it's a very generalized product. Um, and then the other products we'll mention, Xerox API and Matcha, are currently more focused on uh, you know, liquidity aggregation, finding users the best price for fungible tokens. Um, but I do think that over time, that line between like fungible and non-fungible tokens will probably start to blur. Uh, and I think we'll we'll see kind of more financialization of non-fungible tokens. We'll see them gaining, you know, kind of the utility of fungible tokens. You'll probably be able to more easily provide liquidity and like borrow against them and, and stuff like that. Um, so I would say that's kind of the end vision. Um, but yeah, today uh, we are Xerox protocol is already powering the Coinbase NFT marketplace. Interesting. So do you see that? Um... <clears throat> I talk about that blurring. Do you see that at odds with this idea of a decoupling? Because I know the big narrative, certainly towards the end of last year, was that NFTs are somehow decoupling from fungibles as digital commodities or like whatever you want to think of them, digital currencies, commodities. Um, do you see a tension there or, or actually um, it, it can kind of be, both can happen simultaneously? I think they could both happen at once. Um, you know, I think where you see a decoupling right now is that the the demand for fungible and non-fungible tokens tends to be pretty separate right now. Uh, you know, you kind of use them for different things. I would say they have largely different user bases. Um, you know, a lot of people who uh, own or trade NFTs, um, you know, don't necessarily interact with DeFi as often because it is it's just a, a little bit lower in the stack, um, right? It's, uh, you need to understand a lot more financial concepts to, to really use DeFi today. But yeah, over time, I think, I think the functionality of fungible and non-fungible tokens will probably converge a little bit more. And, uh, you know, that, that allows users in, in each group to, to kind of, you know, use each a little bit more interchangeably. And, you know, in this, so we, we mentioned it earlier, I think one of you mentioned it earlier, this idea that there'll, there'll be some innovation trigger that may be something entirely unique or most likely it'll be a combination of things that are already out there. Um, and my personal bets on NFTs as they are used for a, a wider range or a wider spectrum of use case, they almost, almost become like digital consumables. And, uh, um but, you know, the kind of big question is in this wider macro environment, where does demand come from? Let's say more specifically demand for DeFi. Is it going to be, you know, these new use cases for retail as we see NFTs being applied to gaming, to social, to the creator economy or whatever else? Or will it be new institutional money coming in, into DeFi? And it's a hard, hard question to answer, but... In the kind of short to midterm, you know, looking forward over the next 12, 24 months, with everything that we know about what we're seeing in, in, in the wider macro environment outside of crypto, where do you think demand for DeFi is going to be coming from? It's hmm. a good question. I'll, uh, it's hard to say. I think that DeFi, we, we got like a glimpse of 
the potential DeFi holds with things like uh, you know DEXs, of course, but also things like borrowing lending solutions like Compound and Aave, and you know these are genuinely valuable and disruptive applications uh, to be able to go out and lend, for example, stable coins and earn uh, a reasonably attractive interest rate. Like money is going to naturally flow uh, to the path of least resistance or to the path of highest yield. And things like Compound and Aave can provide uh, the ability to hedge against, you know, currency volatility by holding stable coins while also earning a pretty attractive interest rate. Now, I think that what we've seen over the last three, six months with, um, you know, like yield farming and kind of uh, unsustainable, you know, economics that are kind of like subsidizing user acquisition and, and you know, ultimately all of that kind of collapsing in on itself with, you know, Terra and, you know, the, the chain reaction that it set off. Like that, that is definitely not the signal. Like that is, uh, you know, that's not where the the value of DeFi necessarily is coming from. Like, of course, the the ability to innovate and experiment with like new incentive mechanisms super valuable. You know, the way that you know maybe like some of these interest rates were being described or advertised to an unsophisticated audience. Yeah, not so good, but. That doesn't take away from the fact that being able to earn, uh, you know, interest on stable coins is like a huge and extremely valuable valuable use case that is uniquely enabled by DeFi. Um, and yeah, that's kind of my view. So I, I don't know if it's retail. It could be retail. It could be institutions. Probably both um, are are going to continue to like find value in that. Um, but I, I could see institutions maybe being a little bit more. Um, sus <laughs> of the DeFi space uh, in the near term. So, so maybe we, I mean, it's a linked question, but maybe to kind of close off on this um, as we kind of pass the half hour. Obviously, we're kind of in this post-terror world that we, we're kind of witnessing CeFi bailouts, you know, com- companies, VC-backed companies with the most money are the ones that are now bailing um, projects out, teams out, making acquisitions, acquihiring. Um, we also know that there's a lot more regulations coming in around stable coins, especially in Europe. Um, what do you think this means for DeFi? Do you think that there's going to be a period where there's going to be a tendency towards CeFi? Or, you know, do you think that DeFi is going to sustain? I know you I know you believe that in the long term, but in a kind of short to medium term. Um, that's a tough one because it's hard to predict what policy decisions may occur and whether they're like well-informed or not. Um, one thing I will say, though, is that with the Terra blow up and, you know, Three arrows and BlockFi and Celsius. You know, one thing that is clear is that the truly decentralized on-chain borrowing lending solutions like Compound and Aave, like they weathered that storm incredibly well. And 
with 100% visibility and transparency into uh, what was going on with user funds throughout the entire time. And that's something that, you know, regulators have to step in and enforce in a world where, you know, borrowing and lending is being managed by like a centralized company with profit and, and you know, motives and, you know, without kind of this, you know, full transparency that you get on the blockchain. So, you know, I could see policy going multiple ways. I have no idea what policymakers will ultimately, you know, decide. Uh, and I'm sure it'll also vary by jurisdiction. But like, in my mind, this is just another example uh, of why centralized entities that are doing things like taking on leverage probably should be regulated. Uh, but entities that are on the blockchain that function according to code and that are fully transparent, you know, really kind of, you know, eliminate some of the issues that that exist in a centralized world. Yeah, I'm with you. And I think that's a great way to close this interview off. I think if anything, it's made the case for DeFi um, and a, a lot of the problems were what you might actually classify as, 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 as CeFi. Listen, it's been a real pleasure uh, chatting to you both. Thanks for your continued work in the space. As I said, I know if anybody's OGs, it's, it's, it's definitely the two of you. Um, and I think, you know, your, your commitment to the space um, has been incredibly positive. Um, I'm sure it's inspired a lot of founders and will continue to do so to join the space. You know, it, it's great at moments like this to be able to point to good actors that have been consistently good actors whilst perhaps a lot of the attention's gone to uh, people who are perhaps <laughs> more questionable in, in terms of their motives. So thank you both for everything you've done for the space. Hey, thank you for the really kind words. Yeah, it means a lot. And yeah, I think it applies to, to the whole team. Uh, you know, our, our team's got uh, really strong you know, sense of responsibility and, and alignment with long-term mission of crypto. And, and we're also hiring. So of course I have to plug that if you're interested in the crypto space, maybe you're, you know, listening to this podcast and thinking about whether or not is the right, you know, now is the right time to join. Feel free to take a look at the roles that we have open at zerox.org slash jobs. Uh, we're hiring, we're going to be here for the long term, and it's going to be an exciting ride. So check it out. And bear markets are the best time to build. Let me tell you, <laughs> it's true. Yeah, you guys, you guys should know, right? And again, I, I love being able to point to projects that are hiring. There's there's so much hiring going on in the space, um, as well as a huge amount of capital being deployed. Right, there's a new fund every week. There's a new um, significant round being closed. We just mentioned yours earlier. Um, so um, look, it's been a pleasure chatting to you. Looking forward to hopefully having you on again at some point in the near future and, and keep doing what you're doing. Thank you, Jamie. Appreciate it. Thanks so much for having us, Jamie. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please make sure you subscribe, rate, and share your feedback to help us reach as many people as possible with the important mission of Web3.